Live from somewhere on the TARDIS, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 24, The Nine Things You Never Want to Say to a Rabid Mink. In this very special episode, we have a monster movie review, the big boss room of the five-room dungeon of Kesklamir, and instead of commentary, all 31 of the RPG A Day prompts, with one minute given to each one. And now, let's start the... Holy crap! It's a weeping angel! Run! Hello there, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Doc Cross. And like I said in the introduction, it's a special episode. It's going to run long. I hope it won't run as long as I think it's going to run, but it could go 40 minutes or so. Because I'm going to do all 31 of the RPG A Day prompts, because this is RPG A Day month. They do it every August. And I'm going to do them all. I've cut out the commentary for today because I figure 31 prompts, that's enough commentary. There will be a monster movie review. There will be the five-room dungeon of Kesklamere. And then next episode, we should be back to what passes for normal around here. But now, as always, I want to thank my wonderful, wonderful patrons over on Patreon for helping support first my blog, now this podcast. And actually, they've been supporting the blog this past few weeks while I've been doing my fictional Criticon report. Anyway, thank you, David. Thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jame. Thank you, Marion. And thank you, Mark. You guys are great, and I hope you enjoy this special long-ass episode. So now, as is our regular thing on Mondays, we do a monster movie review, and we are on the subject of singular strange monsters. And this movie is one that I have only seen once, although it is available on YouTube and in other sources. It's called Sound of Horror, or if you use the Spanish name, because it is a Spanish movie, El Sonido de la Muerte. It was made in 1966. It was directed by Jose Antonio Nieves Conde. It has a screenplay by Sam X. Abarbanel. It's weird because it's the story about an invisible monster. You see the creature a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. And in between time, nothing. It's invisible. Now, there have been stories about invisible creatures before this in the 50s, but none quite like this. Of course, there have been lots of movies, even going back to the 30s, about the invisible man, the invisible woman. But this is an actual monster who's invisible and killing people. The movie stars James Philbrook, Arturo Fernandez, and Soledad Miranda, and a few other people. It's supposedly set in the Greek countryside, and James Philbrook's character, Dr. Pete Asilov, and Arturo Fernandez's character, Professor Andre, attempt to detonate some dynamite in an abandoned mountain cave, which is always a bad idea in this sort of movie, and they uncover some petrified eggs. They take one, but they fail to notice that another had rolled off and hatched, releasing a reptilian creature that vanishes. When I was a kid, actually I think I was about 16, when we saw this on TV, there was argument about, is the creature really invisible, or is it like a chameleon and it blends in? But the fact is, it doesn't matter. What really matters is, it saved the people who made this movie a lot of money on special effects. 
they live in a nearby village, and there's an orphan niece, of course, with one of the professors, and a superstitious Greek housekeeper, and a few other folks. Sure enough, this creature, invisible though it is, makes a lot of noise, ergo the sound of the horror, and it starts killing people. And most of the movie is about people trying to figure out what the hell's going on, what's killing people, and uncovering various clues. And like I said, you see the creature just for a little bit at the beginning, and you see it just for a little bit at the end when they kill it. It's actually a fairly decent movie. It's kind of talky, because these movies are. The acting's not too bad, and it really is not the kind of movie you'd want to probably watch more than once or twice. But it is kind of fun to watch, and it is an unusual, weird concept. And like I said, I'm pretty sure it's out there on YouTube or somewhere on the internet, so you can watch it. So, you know, give it a shot. All right, now we move on to room five of the five-room dungeon of Kesklemir. Except, as we've said, Kesklemir is not a dungeon. It's a ruined ring city. And this is the second-to-last ring you're going to pass through. This is the noble's ring. It's big. It's probably a half a mile from one wall to the other. So the ring is plenty roomy. They've got estates. They've got parks. They've got upscale shops and things. They've got all the stuff that rich people and wealthy nobles have. However, the gate has been blasted open, and whoever came in here raised hell, because most of the manor houses here are at least partly destroyed. Some of them are totally destroyed. They look like they've been burned down for the most part. There's trash, you know, pieces of houses and things in the street. The parks have gone wild, of course, after centuries of no one doing anything about it. As the characters travel around this ring trying to figure out what's going on, they encounter the big bosses, the bad guys that live in this ring, because this is the fourth ring, which means it's the climax or big battle or conflict ring, because the bad guy is a hag, and she's got a pet hydra. Now, this is not a what the monster manual used to call a Lernaean hydra, where you cut off a head and another one grows. This is a three-headed pyrohydra. This is a fire-breathing hydra. Got three heads, but... You cut one off, it's gone. Cut them all three off, it's dead. Stab it to the heart, it still dies, you know. Not as hard to kill as the Lernaean Hydra, but it's not supposed to be a piece of cake. And then you have the hag. And she has, just by being a hag, she's got sharp claws, sharp teeth. She's got spells she can cast. You can give her whatever spells you think she should have. Although I would probably make them related to nature in some way. And this is the big fight that your characters have. Now, if you have a large party going in here, I would maybe toss in another hag, maybe toss in a uh, a bugbear or something that she's she's got working for her. You'll find that there's one manor house that's still in good shape, which is where the hag lives. And so you want to make it a good fight, you want to make it a hard fight, but not an impossible fight. Now, when they're done fighting the hag and her hydra and whatever else you toss at them, then they can go into her manor house and you should let them find a reasonable amount of loot because adventurers have been coming here for 300 years and her and her hydra and whoever else or maybe the people that lived here before her, whatever monsters were here, they've been killing these guys and keeping the loot. So they should find a reasonable amount of loot. I wouldn't give them any artifacts or anything, but they might find some magic swords, things like that. And of course, a lot of gold. 
in the next episode, we will get to the final room, which is the payoff for the whole dungeon. So we'll talk about that on Friday. All right, gentle listeners, we are back. I have a couple of things to say before I go on with the next part of this podcast. First off, if you hear any noises in the background, any sounds of fans or anything like that, it's because I recorded the first part of the podcast late at night, as I usually do, but then I got sleepy, didn't want to spend a half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever, recording the next part, so I went to bed, and it's now almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's pushing 100 degrees out, and I really need to keep the house as cool as I can, or my dog and I are going to burst into flames. The second thing I want to do is explain to those of you who don't know what RPG a day is. RPG a day is a thing where every August, every day of August, a prompt is put up on a web page or just a lot of people put them up so that everybody knows. And the idea is that you take the prompt and you write about it on your whatever, your blog, talk about it on your podcast, do a vidcast, um, talk about it on social media. And each prompt has something to do with RPGs, sometimes more directly than others, but you're supposed to take that prompt and talk about how it connects you with RPGs. So normally people do this one day at a time. So today being the 16th, they would be on word number 16 and talking about that. But I tend to do things differently, and I didn't want to stretch this out. I would, you know, If I did one a day or one per episode, I'd be stretching this thing out for months. So I'm going to do all 31 in a row, and I've kind of limited myself to one minute at a time. So here I go. The first prompt is scenario. Now, Everybody uses scenarios to one degree or another. You might use pre-made. In fact, a lot of people do run pre-made scenarios. I've run a few. There are also well-thought-out scenarios that people come up with on their own. Some of these are too well-thought-out, and they lead to something called plot armor, where the plot is more important than what people do, and that leads to railroading, and that sucks. The other sort of scenarios you might have are a framework. I tend to work with frameworks a lot. In fact, most of the time. I have a general idea of what the adventure or the campaign, usually a campaign, will be, but I don't flesh everything out hardly at all. The final sort of scenario is random, and that's just what it sounds. And you usually use charts and tables to do that, and you come up with whatever you come up with. The next prompt is map. I love maps. Maps are fun to make. Maps are often very important to an RPG. In the early days, they were extraordinarily important because you were going through dungeons and you had to have maps of where you were, and where was a trap or where was a treasure or where was a way out. Um, a lot of people like making maps. A lot of people do it for fun and they never actually use their maps in a scenario. I have more maps than I will ever use in the rest of my life and maybe even another lifetime. So maps, yeah, great, wonderful part of RPGs. Next we come to tactic. Tactic is an action or a strategy carefully planned to achieve a specific end. 
Uh, <laughs> really, folks, if you've ever GM'd a game or played in a game, you will begin to wonder if players even know what the word tactic means. Uh, there are times when a tactic will work. There are many times when it won't. There are times when players just rush in without the slightest thought of what the hell they're going to do. And really, I think that kind of makes games great. The next prompt is weapon. By and large, I don't think weapons are deadly enough in most RPGs, especially in fantasy RPGs. Even in modern RPGs, you know, a lot of them, you get shot, and it's, oh, they do a D9 or a D whatever, or who knows. Yeah, I've been shot, and it's both more debilitating and less painful in some instances than you might think. Uh, same goes for being stabbed. You know, it depends on where you get stabbed. If somebody stabs you in the ass, it hurts, but it's not going to slow you up nearly as much as you think. The next prompt is thrown, and that leads us to talking about authority figures or revolutions or any number of things, seeking a throne, whatever. They're pretty common. It's not all always seeking a throne. Sometimes it's uh, players might be seeking elect elected office. Sometimes they might be trying to get somebody out of office by fair means or foul. Um, lots of times the person sitting in a throne has some connection to what mission you're going on. Then we have flavor. Flavor is not to be confused with genre. It's not to be confused with uh, atmosphere. A flavor is a personal thing, I think. It's the flavor that I bring to my games and that lady over there brings to her games and that guy over there brings to his games and people bring to games and everybody's different. So each game has a different flavor. You may not notice it so much in the first game if you play one or two with somebody, but believe me, after you've played with somebody for a few games, you start to see what their flavor is, what their their mindset going into things, how their beliefs and whatever flavor things. Yeah, flavor. Then we have small. Small makes me think of RPGs for kids, because kids are small, and I've run games for kids, and I've even seen kids making up their own RPGs, sort of on the fly. Kids are great at that. The other thing about small RPGs, of course, is that there are small RPGs out there. Little pamphlets, sometimes index cards, you know, nothing big, hardback, 600 pages, just little stuff. In fact, in the past 10 or 15 years, there's been an explosion of small RPGs, and that's a good thing. Next, we come to Stream. Now, Stream can go two ways. The modern way of thinking of the word stream is streaming video, streaming music, streaming this and that. And there are lots and lots and lots of game streams out there. Board game streams, video game streams, and RPG streams. I gotta admit, I don't watch them. Watching other people play games is really boring to me. And I have to also say that there is nobody, nobody no matter what they tell you, in this RPG industry, who was here 20 years ago, who thought this would ever happen, that people would pay money to watch other people play role-playing games. Completely 
did not think of it. Nobody. Anybody who tells you they did is a dirty damn liar. The other part of streaming is what I do most of the time here on the podcast and in other aspects of life, stream of consciousness. Then there's medium. Once again, the medium, that goes towards streaming. The medium for RPGs used to be you buy the books, you play the game, that's it. Then there were, you know, they made a D&D movie, which blew. And there were some other movies which sort of, you know, connected to gaming. But now, medium for gaming, you can play RPGs on a computer. You can play RPGs using cards. You can play RPGs using books. You can play RPGs using stuff you download. You can you can own a thousand RPGs and never own an actual physical product nowadays. Again, this is totally cool. It's great to live in the future. 